Hey guys, this is uh, John Blau uh, with the Post and Courier. We're here for our weekly uh, countdown to kickoff feature. Um, I'm here with Gene Zapikoff, my boss, um, columnist for the Post and Courier. Um, we're here, obviously, to talk about the Georgia Tech game. Um, not the Georgia Tech game, the, the NC State game. Well, we'll talk about the Georgia Tech game, too. I guess that's the last one. Um, but we're also uh, here to answer your questions. Uh, if you have any, you can put them in the chat. Uh, we're here also to promote our newsletter, which is called the Tiger Take. Um, it's basically a, a feature where I give you my stories, but I also give you extra kind of analysis and anecdotes from behind the scenes covering the beat. Uh, we email that to you straight to your inbox uh, pretty much every morning, not every morning, but most of them. Um, so if you want to subscribe to that, you go to the postandcourier.com uh, forward slash the tiger take. Uh, but to get to business right now, uh, Gene, kind of let's go back to the Georgia Tech game, like I said, since I goofed it for a second there. Um, what do you remember most from it? I mean, what, was, what were your impressions uh, coming away from that game as we now head into the second game now, a road test at North Carolina State? John, that was uh, some game, and I know you were on the scene, and uh, the, the game must have gone on for uh, several hours. I don't know what the official time was with that uh, two-hour delay there for, for Lightning, um, but the thing that take away for me is that the stunning lack of improvement on offense, I think that's what Clemson Nation has been buzzing about all week and probably all Saturday. And, you know, the coaches came out and talked about a couple different things. Number one, uh, well, they only held us to eight possessions as of that explained, you know, some of the ineptitude. And then also they came out in a defense, you know, dropping so many guys back that we hadn't seen before, except something Georgia Tech did just briefly in a game against UCF recently. But the, the way I see that as, uh, I don't know if they're covering for themselves, covering for players, but Phil Steele, the really good college football analyst who has the best preview magazine and, and website there is when it comes to breaking down all the teams in the country. He had Georgia Tech rated 76 in the country coming in to the season. Uh, they were playing at Death Valley and uh, there's just no way that game should have been that close. Yeah, I think, like you're saying, I wonder about the covering for players. Um, there are a lot of very young guys on that offensive side of the ball. And I think, I don't know, I kind of wrote about this a little bit this week, that just the expectation is Clemson has obviously been to the CFP six years in a row. They always find a way to have really explosive offenses. Uh, and so it's almost, you figure they're going to find people to just, you know, kind of step in and, and do the next bit and keep going. Uh, and that hasn't quite happened. And, and there are some obvious explanations. I mean, DJ Uyunglele is in his first year as a full-time starter. Uh, you have a really shuffled offensive line with Jordan McFadden going from right tackle to left tackle. Matt Bockhorst going from left guard to center. Uh, Marcus Tate, the true freshman in between them. But then to hear, yeah, what they said which again is such a jarring thing uh, with how Clemson has been able to play the last few years that basically Georgia tech gave us a game plan that made us completely have to change what we have to do it is kind of a strange thing to hear because Clemson's supposed to be Clemson. I mean, you shouldn't have to adjust uh, where the expectations are for this program to what a Georgia tech does to you. You should dictate to them. This is the way the game's going to be. And if you want to play whatever way, we're going to make you switch out of it. You can drop eight, 
but then we're going to run straight through you for more than four yards per carry. I mean, we're going to run through you for five or six or seven. Um, the fact that they didn't do that um, is concerning, I guess. Is that, is that what you're getting at? Is that, do you kind of agree with that sentiment? Yeah, and then there's so many different ways to say that. Um, but one thing that this staff, and I, I want to preface this by saying, as, as I did in a column where I really slammed um, some particular decisions in the Georgia Tech game, but hey, you don't get to six straight college football playoffs, four national championship games, and win two national championships without having a heck of a coaching staff. I've got the greatest respect for Dabo Sweeney, the head coach, and uh, I mean, a particular star on that staff, you know, Brent Venables, Tony Elliott. I mean, th these guys have been really good over the years and they've proven themselves. However, on this day, they failed to make adjustments. Um, they've made adjustments over the last several years very well, as well as, you know, any program there is. Now, they don't get tested as much in the ACC, but still, they've done a really good job of making adjustments in the past. And, and I think the, the whole schematic thing about, oh, they came out in something we hadn't seen. I mean, I'm surprised that in the second possession or third possession or by golly halftime, which lasted about eight hours, um, that they couldn't have made some significant adjustments. And the fact that they didn't was kind of weird. And I don't know, there's a lot of key stats in that game, but the fact that here's a key stat, Georgia Tech isn't very good. Um, they lost to Ball State. Uh, I mean, they lost to Northern Illinois, which lost to Michigan 63 to 10. Now I know when you like, John, like you carry that, this team did this, and then this team against this other team, you can get lost in the shuffle there. But the fact is, Georgia Tech isn't very good. They outgained Clemson. Clemson had more penalty yards. They were even in turnovers. The home, the game was at Clemson. None of that stuff should have happened. Yeah. And again, going back to the one point that Dabo Sweeney had, I mean, they did have drives. I mean, they had multiple drives that are over eight yard, eight plays uh, or over 10 plays. I mean, of those eight, I think half of them went a substantial amount of yards. But then you turn the ball over on a fumble, DJ Uyungle, uh, you, you can't convert a fourth and two on a shovel pass to Will Shipley. Um, it's these little things they keep shooting themselves in the foot. And you have to wonder at what point is it just youth and what point is it a, is it a feature? And I guess the, the hopeful view of Clemson is that this is just youth. Um, but I guess, have you seen, Gene, I mean, you would know over your vast number of years covering things, a team that looks like this in the, pre, in the first two, three, four games look incredibly different at the end of the year? Or when you see these things happening over and over again early in the season, does that usually pretend to this maybe just is what they are this year and you have to wait another year to see, you know, the, the more mature version of this team? John Blau, that is why you're such a good uh, college sports beat writer, because um, that I think is going to be the really telling thing as we see going forward. And kind of along those lines, I, I was trying to ask, to, I did ask Tony Elliott on Monday up at Clemson when we had the availability uh, with him is, did you see some of these problems with DJ? And I am not putting all of this on DJ at all. I think there's problems in the backfield and receivers not getting open and particularly on the offensive line and play calling and stuff like that. But did you see, I asked Tony Elliott, some of these problems with DJ throwing off balance, uh, not having his feet set straight, which I noticed right away against Georgia. And I thought, well, maybe that's just Georgia. 
And he said, yeah, they did see some things in practice. So I don't know um, if this is going to extend and maybe the schedule will not allow us to really tell if it is or not. But yeah, this might just be one of those years, which for Clemson, you know, oh, it's a terrible year. We, we're going to win the ACC championship and play in the Orange Bowl, but not make the playoff for Clemson. That, that's a disappointing year. Right. And again, it may just be what it is. I mean, this is a, a very young offense with a young quarterback, young running backs, um, receivers. Like you said, I mean, there was one play, DJ, um, I don't know if he feigned ignorance about it during the Monday availability, but he was asked directly about a play where he pretty much dropped back. It looked like it was going to be a screen to the receivers. All three of them went out and blocked and there was no one to throw to. And he sits there for a solid two seconds and then runs. I mean, it seems like there's just there's just issues across the board on the offense. And obviously, when you're the quarterback, you get the you know lion's share of the blame. Um, but I, I don't know if it's just him. It seems like it's all over the place. And it, it's kind of, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to grow out of some of these things. The one thing that was encouraged, encouraging was in the third quarter, that early fourth quarter, when they ran the ball with DJ, they actually got some momentum on offense. And you actually saw some emotion out of DJ where he was, you know, getting fired up. He flipped the ball. He kind of was gesticulating towards the uh, Georgia Tech defense and, you know, kind of acting a little fired up. Um, it, it, it's a, it's a kind of thing where I wonder if he can just get in a rhythm and get some drives kind of linked together, get some balls deep down the field, connect, if all of a sudden that will catch fire and he gets some momentum, if it's, if it's, if it's that. Because we've seen him. I mean, again, last year when he replaced Trevor Lawrence, obviously some different pieces around him, some more veteran offensive linemen or Amari Rogers in the slot, those types of things. We've seen him um, get into a rhythm and do things like he did at Notre Dame where he throws for so many yards. So, I mean, it is conceivable that it's just he's in a funk and everybody just needs to click and maybe it can click together. I don't know. Right. And I think uh, Tony Elliott and the rest of the offensive staff can find something that kind of works for this particular group, particular group of guys. And let's face it, um, we, the media, me, I'm taking the blame. I thought this was going to be a pretty good offense. You know, you underestimate you lose Trevor Lawrence, the first pick overall in the draft and maybe the best quarterback to come out of college in, you know, since about Andrew Luck, let's say, or something like that. Travis Etienne, two-time ACC player of the year. That Lawrence was not the two-time ACC player of the year, but Travis Etienne was. And then just a great, reliable slot receiver in this string of slot receivers, Adam Humphreys, uh, Hunter Renfro, and then Amari Rogers. That was huge. Uh, we underestimated that, but John, I'll tell you what, I think the Clemson coaches did too, because they, most coaches, just like baseball coaches coming out of spring training, Hey, everything's great. You know, we, we really have a chance this year. Well, Dabo Sweeney talked up this wide receiver group a lot, including toward the end saying, Hey, coach Tyler Grisham, receiver coach, I want you to take a picture. When you take a picture with these receivers, hold on to that picture. It's going to be an elite group. Um, now, I know he was talking about, you know, guys like a Joe, a Joe, you know, not necessarily starting against Georgia being elite, but eventually, but they talked up Will Shipley, they talked up the offensive line, including Dabo saying, you know, pretty much he had two, two of the best tackles in college football, and he absolutely talked up DJ. So I think the coaches are surprised to the point where, again, they were very, very positive going in, and now the word that Tony Elliott 
was repeating from Dabo is work in progress. That work in progress isn't what they were saying in August. Right. And I think the other term that Dabo used on Sunday was these aren't video game players, you know, that they're, they're humans and they need to learn and grow. They need to be nurtured and things like that. And, and it's a reminder. I mean, the, you can't just plug in and it's not always going to be the same formula every year. It's, you're going to have times like this and it's not it's not great for fans to watch because I think you expect one thing and you get another. But it just kind of is what it is. And I guess the thing I'd like to transition transition to is North Carolina State feels like they're kind of similar to Clemson in some ways. If you look at their their first few games, I mean, they threw for 303 yards on Mississippi State, only managed to score 10 points in a 24 to 10 loss. Um, they were down in the Mississippi State five ones. They threw a pick. Um, they got over the midfield line, fumbled the ball at the 46, um, get to the Mississippi 36, turnover on downs. They gave up a kick off t- uh, return touchdown to start the game. I mean, just little things where they actually were producing, but they were stubbing themselves in the toe. It sounds a lot like Clemson right now offensively. Um, what, what, what to make of North Carolina State, Gene? I mean, when you look at them, what, what do we think they are? Uh, well, first of all, John, I don't know if you realize, but you're about to witness your very first textile bowl. That's what they call the NC State Clemson game because of the great, you know, and long textile traditions and bowl states and stuff. And this this game's been played all over the place. Raleigh, Columbia, Florence, Rock Hill over the years. So that's exciting. Your textile bowl, John, I know you're going to want to hold on to that credential and put it on the wall and, you know, cherish it. But as far as NC State, um, yeah, I watched that game against Mississippi State on tape and, you know, the, the week after because I thought that was a great chance for the ACC to make a statement. And on the one hand, you just don't go into Stark Vegas and have an easy time of it, mostly because of those cowbells. <laughs> but I'm not sure Mike Leach really has it going down there, especially on defense. I mean, you saw what happened to them against Memphis last week. Uh, Generally speaking, they were regarded as the worst or second worst team in the ACC West. And as of this point, I think uh, the SEC West, SEC West, as, as of this point, I think that Arkansas looks a little better. I mean, things can change week to week, but you're right. That game was puzzling for the Wolfpack because they actually, in a 24 to 10 loss, you know, they outgained Mississippi State um, and they just could have done a lot, a lot better than they did. Uh, The defense for NC State has played pretty well. Now, um, they have lost two key guys. I mean, Cyrus Fagan, the safety, had transferred from Florida State. They're expecting a lot from him. But the the guy, Peyton Wilson, what a good linebacker he is. Um, All ACC projected to be this year. And that's going to be tough to see how, you know, if Clemson can take advantage of that. But when someone asked, um, you know, Tony Elliott about that on Monday, and he was talking about and pointing out you know, very astutely that NC State, because of the super seniors and stuff, has quite a bit of depth. Um, So they did have 19 starters coming back. I guess it's down to, you might say 17. I don't know if they counted Fagan as a starter, probably not since he was a transfer. But anyway, um, they do have a lot of experience and Clemson knows that Raleigh is just, you know, a nasty place to play if you're, you're an opposing team. Yeah, I mean, I think this was the game that, again, when we all came into the year, thought this may be the toughest ACC game. And then they do what they do against Mississippi State. And we're like, okay, what was that game really? 
Um, and obviously the Clemson coaching staff has been talking up the wolf pack a little bit, which is to be expected that happens week to week. Um, but maybe I, I was buying in a little bit again with the 303 passing yards, um, with the way they turned over the ball, uh, you know, the offense does seem to have some pretty good pieces. Devin Leary, the quarterback, um, Dabo Sweeney, Sweeney called him a baller, um, that he's a really, really great player. Um, they obviously have a, from what they've said, a very athletic offensive line, a very uh, obviously experienced offensive line with all the different pieces they have coming back. Um, defensively, Dabo Sweeney said they look a lot like us. They look a lot like Clemson, um, not because of their scheme. I mean, they're running three down linemen, which is very similar to what Georgia Tech did. So that will be interesting. Um, but just in the fact that they run to the ball, they're aggressive, um, that they're going to make your life miserable if you allow them to. Um, that, it's going to be interesting to see how that experience plays. Um, are you more interested, Gene, in just kind of how that offense fares against that defense? Or, or do, are we more fascinated by the streak that Clemson's defense has here hasn't allowed a touchdown yet, if that's going to go? Kind of, kind of which side matchup are you kind of looking forward to the most? Uh, the defensive streak thing's always fascinating, and uh, that'll be fun to see. They're not, they're not going to be able to hold that up forever. I mean, even in the best-case scenario, they're going to get some, you know, backside touchdown against, uh, you know, secondary players. Although Clemson's reserves have really impressed me. I mean, I, you want to just talk about some positives besides the overall defense. I mean, guys like Trotter and Swint, um, Makuba, Rororo, Bentley. I mean, they've had so many guys. McGuire made a huge play even in the SC State game, knocking down a pass at the end. I mean, there's so many guys that have played key roles on that defense. But yeah, I'm I'm going to be watching along with most of Clemson fans. You know, are going to be watching too. Is how the offense looks and what improvements have been made, and most particular on the offensive line, John, because that's the one part of the struggle here that I just don't think is surprising. Those guys, mostly the same group, um, had a lot of trouble last season or a bunch of the same guys anyway. And now here, here they are trying to work with a new quarterback, a new running back, you know, still trying to find an answer at slot receiver with, with, Matt Bockhorst basically playing out of position. I think he could be an NFL center, but the fact is until a matter of weeks ago, he, he'd never played much center. And Tate is a freshman starting at guard. I mean, that's, that's just a tough thing, especially when you have all the other newness going on. And let me point out one more thing about newness that, you know, it just, I've just come to realize. And, you know, I, I think you look at Clemson's coaching staff and it's, it's just well regarded as far as its accomplishments, but also the stability. Oh, they lost Jeff Scott to, to South Florida. That, that's about it, people say. Well, really look a little closer. So right now you have Tony Elliott coaching tight ends for the first time in his life because Danny Pierman got kicked to the scouting department. And in Tony Elliott moving from running backs, you now have C.J. Spiller not just coaching running backs for the first time in his life, but being a college football assistant coach for the first time in his life. And I think Tyler Grisham's going to be like a star coach, the wide receivers coach. But the fact is, he's in his second year ever of coaching in college football full time. That's a lot of little changes on one side of the ball. 
And maybe that explains at least a little bit of this. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a lot of changes. And C.J. Spiller, obviously, we, we were hearing a lot about him, A, for going into the Hall of Fame, and there was that whole halftime ceremony, but B, uh, the issues with Lynn J. Dixon, which kind of came to a head um, here this week with Lynn J. Dixon going into the transfer portal midseason, uh, we heard that he was kind of in C.J. Spiller's doghouse, and uh, that C.J. was establishing himself as the dominant presence in that room, and that he had to, that he had to kind of, um, you know, establish himself in the hierarchy and that Lin Jay and, and him were working that out. And in, in this case, Lin Jay decided to leave, which I don't know if that says anything bad about either side. And I think that's just, you know, sometimes these things aren't fits and they just don't work out. Uh, but it shows, it, it mostly just goes to show you that there's a lot that goes into being a coach isn't just, you know, lining up the guys and saying who's going to get the most reps here or there. Uh, it's also balancing personalities and, and how they mesh and, you have to wonder, like you said, yeah, how are the personalities, the coaches meshing with the players? How are the coaches meshing with each other? Uh, there's just a lot of human elements here that maybe we're not like completely fully considering when we just look at the, you know, the roster and the stats and all that coming into the year and projecting it. It's, it's a very volatile, variable situation, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, running back coming into the year, they, they had a lot of positive things to say about Will Shipley, but they also hoped that Lynn J. Dixon and Kobe Pace and Mikey Dukes and some of these other guys would kind of combine to make a, a committee situation that would be pretty good. But th that sort of has not happened. I mean, I think Will Shipley has been one of the bright spots on offense along with Justin Ross and, um, you know, Jordan Mc badden at times but there haven't been many bright spots on offense i mean nagata's done some good things for sure at receiver but then you know frank ladson disappears at times I, I don't know this tight end room generally regarded as the best overall tight end room clemson's just about ever had talent wise just has not been nearly as involved in the offenses we thought they would but there's 101 things to to poke at and the, of the lack of productivity but it all comes down to this stat. And I've seen so many great stats from all the Clemson reporters covering the beat. And you've had some good ones too. But here it is. In two FBS games, Clemson scored 17 points. And Georgia and Georgia Tech defenses combined have scored nine. That's not good when the other team's defenses in FBS games are pretty much close to even with you in scoring. And you can't just say, oh, we played Georgia. Well, you also got to play Georgia Tech. So there you go. Yeah. And the one thing I wonder, and I, I don't know if this is over analysis in, in terms of the psychological aspect of things, but I mean, I asked Dabo about this in the press conference this week. Uh, are you worried about just, you know, leaning on your defense from week to week this much and just putting that much pressure on your defense? And obviously Dabo gave the answer that, well, the defense can't worry about the offense and they're just getting stops and that's their job. And that's what they're going to do. And they're not worried, but I do wonder, uh, obviously they did, you know, sustain drives to, to a degree against Georgia tech. So it wasn't as much of an issue of snaps uh, wearing the defense out, but I do wonder if you lean on this defense too hard uh, the entire year and you're, you're trying to win every game 17 to 10 and it's up to the defense to get a stop every single you know game to, to hold some team out to win the game. If that's asking too much of them, uh, I, I, this is a great defense and, they, and they've proven it thus far, but 
how much can you lean on this defense, especially now Tyler Davis is out for a significant chunk of time with a biceps injury. So you're a little weak on that interior now. Um, how much can you lean on these guys? I don't know. John, we're going to find out in the next two weeks because for my money, except for Georgia, it, so within the AC schedule, ACC schedule, NC State and Boston College, which is due to arrive at Death Valley on October 2nd, um, are the two most physical teams on the schedule. NC State gives, you know, Clemson usually, you know, a good run under Dave Doran. I know it was 55 to 10 in 2019. They did not play last year, strangely, but a lot of strange things going on with COVID, of course. They're, they're pretty physical. Clemson players always talk about how physical the Boston College kids are. So it, it's going to be interesting to see these next couple of weeks. Yeah, and, and Boston College uh, with no uh, Djokovic at quarterback. What, what are they going to be like offensively? Um, obviously, then you got your road trips. You got your Syracuse, your Pittsburgh going, you know, deep on the road, uh, you know, trying to stay consistent through that. There's a bye week shoved in there. Um, but I, I guess this is the, one of the questions we can kind of wrap up on. If, if Clemson were to win every game from here on out, 14 to 8, and just barely squeeze by everyone. Do they make the CFP or are we, you know, is it too early to know? I mean, obviously we got to see what kind of chaos happens with Ohio state and maybe Georgia and, and the rest of, you know, and the PAC 12 with Oregon and all that. But I mean, it, it, does it worry you if, it, if there isn't a little bit more of a margin of victory from here on out, um, how this is going to fare? Uh, it definitely has to be a concerning. That is a possibility and the factors of the variables will include how good is the rest of the ACC? Do they get a good opponent like a one loss UNC or Virginia team in the ACC championship game? And then how good does Georgia turn out to be? If Georgia wins all the rest of their games are all but one, then that'll obviously help Clemson. But if, you know, I don't know, it's going to be, that's going to be a heck of a question. Yeah. So we're going to see what I, I'll just say this, John, that would be a good problem to have at this point for Clemson. Right. Yeah. Cause the worst thing, and we're all not acknowledging this, if they had lost to Georgia tech, if Georgia tech had gotten in the end there, um, you know, Pat gotten past James Skalski and he doesn't read that shuffle pass perfectly. And um, if they, you know, get that onside kick after Joe bats it out of bounds and, you know, do some more things, I mean, or, or like the safety, I guess, maybe, um, all these things, if they lose the game, I mean, what would the, the outcry be right now? I mean, it, it, the fans would have been incensed. I mean, if there was a loss they, and they did win, I mean, they, they've at least, you know, won the game. And if they keep winning um, their wins, a win's a win, I guess. Right. Yeah. And if they win the next few games, I think a lot of this is at least uh, put to rest for a while or calm down. So winning helps and losing doesn't. That's what Bill Parcells always used to say. And that's what Dabo Sweeney is going to be saying pretty soon. Right. Exactly. So, yeah, I think that's about all I wanted to say. Anything else you want to add, Gene, or I didn't bring up or we good? Uh, I think we're good. It's going to be interesting that uh, the analyst for ESPN working with Mark Jones will be Robert Griffin III. I'll be interested to hear what sort of takes he has on the Clemson offense. Yeah, yeah, that'll be interesting. A uh, uh, Big 12 guy from Baylor. I, I don't know what uh, connections he has necessarily to Clemson or to the ACC. I mean, that's kind of a 
interesting guy to bring in. Are, are there any connections there, Gene? I can't. I can't. Uh, no, I think he's just trying to get into broadcasting. And I mean, he's a real personable guy. He'll probably be really good. But uh, yeah, I'd like, I always like to hear fresh takes on what's going on. So that'll be fun. Yeah, or G3, that'll be interesting. So uh, yeah, just thanks guys for listening. Uh, this will be available in podcast form uh, after this. So I think it'll be on our YouTube page. Um, again, if, if you have the, uh, the funds and the inclination, uh, the Tiger Take newsletter that we have, I'd appreciate it if you gave that a try. Uh, again, just kind of sending you my stories and then also uh, plus some tidbits that didn't quite make the stories in the newspaper, um, anecdotes, all those types of things. You go to postencourier.com forward slash the Tiger Take. Uh, you can subscribe, I think, for actual Post and Courier subscribers. It's only like a dollar extra per month or something like that. Uh, if you're a new person and you just want to read Clemson content, I think it's $40 per month. And that's like what, like a really nice fancy steak dinner just once for the year. I mean, it's not that bad. So anyway, thanks for listening, guys. And uh, we'll see you next week, hopefully.